Wilson Delaware. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 522. Jason Lindgren is with me, and we have two guests today, David Reif and Jenny Spark. Let's get the first name out of the way. Uh, David is, I think, six people away from Reif, because I know people will ask. So there's not actually a direct, direct lineage there, but there is some. Uh, we're going to cover today primarily frequencies, but these guests, as so many that we've had on before, actually met through Pro Triple Seven Radio. Welcome, Jason. And good morning. All right. Welcome, David and Jenny. Morning. Oh, it's such an honor. We're huge fans. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm glad you guys find value. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and actually, I guess I misspoke. This is going to be primarily about natural childbirth. I guess we will touch on frequency, but let's jump right in here. So you guys actually met through uh, the podcast, apparently. Yeah. So uh, I'll just start out by saying like in 2016, everything really changed for me. I know people have transformational uh, uh, times in their lives. That was a big deal for me. And uh, finding out about a lot of things, flat earth and and otherwise, and I got pulled into a lot of different rabbit holes that were kind of terrifying. And, and I, I had to ask, you know, what um, I asked somebody, you know, who, who can I trust? Who, who is a truther that is trustworthy? And they said, crow, you know, and I, I went and I, I started at uh, episode one. And at the time you guys probably had about 200. So uh, 400 hours of listening to you guys. <laughs> And starting to ask those questions and really go deep and and finding that if you knock, you get an answer with signs and symbols and synchronicities that led me to a lot of different places in my life that I would know uh, would would not have gone otherwise. And of course, Crow, you've had such a diverse audience, uh, a diverse group of people that you've had on your show that there's so many different you could you could spend hours just researching the things that you brought to the table, you know. I don't know how you guys have all the time, honestly, to do it all. But it's, David, um, yeah, David did the same thing, I believe, right, David? Yeah, yeah. For for me, it was um, around 2017, and I uh, I, I originally started off the, the Mandela effect is really my first dweller in the trutherism. Uh, I, YouTube recommended a Mandela effect video, and I watched it, and I always resonated with the Berenstein Bears. I had all the books and I knew it wasn't Baron Stain. And I kind of went through down that rabbit hole for about a week. And I kind of, I really said all bets are off because I believed in it so hard. And I started looking into the moon landing and about 30 minutes later, I realized that that was a sham. <laughs> <laughs> and, my, and that my grandpa was right all those years ago. <laughs> I felt so foolish for ridiculing him. And it was really, it was uh, August, I think, 21st, 2017. I went out and I, I, the great solar eclipse happened. And I was fortunate mm-hmm. enough to be in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I'm from. And it's, it was full totality. And, and something told me, you know, I just, I, I'm not recommending that anybody do this. But for me, I looked straight at that eclipse the whole time without glasses, not through a box. And my eyes are fine. What did you see? To me, it was it just demonstrated that all of this is a construct, you know, that it's not like they're saying because they lined up perfectly. It wasn't like the sun and the moon lined up almost close and perfect or what, and it's not the moon either. You, you, it's complete darkness It's blackness. To me, it was, it was foolish to say that it was, that it was happenstance, you know, for, for, for me, like they lined up so perfectly 
and I could see the Corona and it was just like obvious that, that, that what they told us was baloney, that it is the luminaries are, are independent. They're not, they're, they're not just balls floating around in this happenstance because it sat there. When the eclipse came together, it wasn't like it, it was going the same speed and it came together and then went away at the same distance at the speed it came. And then they lined up. It sat there. And it wasn't like they kept moving. They, they, they sat there. To me, it demonstrated that they stopped. At least for a moment, the speed changed. I watched it with my own eyes. I observed it. Are you a sun? I'm sorry to interrupt, but are you a sun gazer? You were able to look straight into the sun. Yeah, I looked straight at it the whole time. <laughs> well, what did you see when you looked straight into the sun? Did it seem any different to you than any other day that you would look at the sun? Yeah, almost because nowadays the sun tends to be more white. That it was yellow. It was like looking into embers of a fire almost. It was that deep orange and it didn't hurt, you know, when. Uh, if you look into the sun now, your, your first instinct is to look away. You know, you can feel it kind of burning a little. There was no burning. There was no urge to look away. It was, in fact, the opposite. I was like I was urged to stare right at it. And I stared and I remember the moment whenever it came out that I had to look away because it was too bright. Then. But like during that, it was it was protected. And I, I don't know why they they say that you need to look through a box or sunglasses or whatever they say you need to do, but it was, it felt like my eyes were protected the whole time I was doing it. I was praying for wisdom. <laughs> I just want to say, um, during that time I was actually pregnant and, and meditating and I had energy shoot up my spine. I was inside. I couldn't see the eclipse, but it was the exact same time. And I always wondered, you know, was that eclipse a big deal to anybody else in the community? And I would always ask people and they, they were always like, what? No, you know, didn't even care about it until I found David. <laughs> so, so let me, let me add something. And we've always got to say this. If you don't sun gaze, don't go out and stare at the sun. Yeah. You can damage your eyes. It's like a baby biting into a jalapeno. You got to work up to it. You've got to do it the right way. That off the table, uh, the 2017 eclipse is where I formally came out and said that the moon is not eclipsing the sun and I've proven it, but I too, like you, David looked straight into the sun because I'd been sun gazing for years and years. First of all, I don't know if that's the best idea. I don't feel like the eclipse per se is a very positive. It's the blocking of the light. But what I saw was complete chaos. It looked like little like photons. I don't know how to describe it. So I'll just use words so you can visualize it. It looked like photons just ricocheting in complete chaos in every direction at one point of the eclipse. Anyhow, I wanted to get all that in. That's why I asked you what you saw when you looked into it. Anyhow, go ahead, carry on. So had you guys known each other at this point of the eclipse? No. no. We knew each other in chat, like peripherally for a lot longer than for, I don't know how long, David, was uh, years. Yeah, I mean, it was it was at least two years. Now that you mentioned it, Crow, that's kind of what I meant. The, the corona around it, it seemed like fire going off. Like when you hit embers in a fire and you, they, they shoot off up into the air, it was like that all the way around. But I, 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 after I saw that, I came to the same conclusion. And like during the eclipse, I said, the moon isn't what is eclipsing the sun. That's not it. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's one of these these luminaries that they say we can't see all the time, which is my guess is probably what it is, Ketu or Rahu. But I, I, then I looked in and I saw, you know, your work with the, the lunar wave. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what, what, what is this? And I went all the way down through that. I think only you and Randy from Houston had ever recorded it at this point. And so I, I went down into that and I realized I was like, huh, I kind of laughed to myself. I said, I bet the earth's flat too. <laughs> now I, I found out about that as well. <laughs> so how did you guys end up meeting? You know, it's funny. We were both at, so uh, we went both to solar return and we did not meet at that time. And someone there uh, asked if we were together. And I don't even remember that that happened. But when we went back to Flattoberfest, uh, a different time when we actually were together, this person found us and said, wow, I, I, I had asked you guys if you were together. And we didn't even know each other back then. We met initially in, in a chat. Well, I talked to everyone in the chat. You know, I would always reach out and I made a point to be a part of this community to reach out to other people during truth. And really during COVID, all, all of that nonsense brought us together as well, because it illustrated the, I, I, for lack of a better word, the, the people in the know, the people who aren't in the know, the, the, the mask wearers or the non-mask wearers. And that brought us together through all the nonsense. And we actually started in a, in a group chat, uh, us and another, Jenny and I and a, and a mutual friend of ours. And we, we stayed in that chat all the time. And we eventually started talking on the phone and we were both with other people, but it was our love for, for your show. You know, Jenny meant more into, and I was into the, the classics, the Greek classics, all your work with that. And uh, that's really what made me fall in love with your show and want to be part of the community. That's how we met through that. And then we never actually met in person until I flew up here <laughs> and met her at the airport. Other than that, we had only known each other online. How long? So it was a couple of years before you met in person? Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Yeah. From 2019 until uh, really uh, last year, last May, we met. We, we had become best friends and we would talk on the phone all day long. For hours. Yeah. For hours. <laughs> so when you guys finally met and it was and we Jason, how many people? I mean, there's been a number. I think even Amanda Vollmer met her loved one through Crow Triple Seven Radio. Isn't that correct? Pretty sure about that, but I'm not 100 percent. I think she told me that um, I could be wrong. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but we've had a number of people meet. So you guys finally meet, by the way, at the point where you guys met, do you remember what episode we were at? Do you have any idea? Oh, it, it was probably what it was like. Um, Was it the three nineties or, or the early four hundreds, babe? Uh, you've got a better memory than I do for that kind of stuff. I just know that when you, when you came through the, the doors, it was like all these things were, uh, almost supernatural is just um otherworldly everything with david has been a, just out of this world kind of feeling for me so i used to joke with my friend about the one through ten scale for somebody compatibility wise you add two points easily for the for if they're like-minded truth or minded and that kind of stuff what makes everything easier the parenting the life plan your you know the support that you have because i could not have gotten through this midwife versus hospital situation very easily without a lot of support, a lot of support. This has been one of the most troubling things over the years. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know, years ago, uh, I was getting so many emails about people breaking up people saying, I'm a follower of the podcast and my wife or my husband just doesn't get it. And man, I can't tell you how many emails I wrote that said, family comes first, you know, be careful what you're doing. And I, I was really concerned to a critical point at one point along the way, but 
when we cover things like this, it makes me happy. But you want to know something? For almost two years, I don't think I've gotten an email like that. There were so many at a certain point. But at this period of time, when you guys met, had we already done any of the natural birth episodes, which I feel are among our most important? Yeah. And I I had started, so I had two children previously and I had started listening to you guys and it was really Wayne's research too, into all the, all the vaccines that made me come to, to see things differently than I used to. So my first child was, was vaccinated. I have five years between all of my children and they're there's three of them. So five, 10, 15, there's a big span of time. My first child, I gave all the vaccines to in the beginning, I did everything the way that they said, no questions asked, whatever they thought was the best thing, the hospital, that's what I did. Right. And the second one, I started to ask questions and, you know, I had a lot more questions <laughs> and the, and the doctor really wasn't even prepared for all these questions. They just would say, they would give up after a certain point and say, you know what? just come back when you're ready to get the vaccines. You don't need an appointment, just come in and get them. Right. And I stopped just blindly giving them whatever they thought. And it turns out that you don't need to really give them anything. (laughs) So was this shift occurring before anything to do with what me and Jason do? Was that shift already occurring within you? No, my first birthing class, when I went, this was probably 2012, there was parents there asking about the vaccines. And I remember thinking, God, you know, like, cause they kept going back to that and going back to that. And eventually the nurses were like, we can't, you know, we can't talk about that. We're just going to go on with the class basically. And I remember thinking, God, they're wasting all this time. You know, we know we just have to do whatever they say. This is stupid. You know, I, I was, I was dumb. I had to be shown. I'm not one of the people that knew before, <laughs> you know, I really blindly trusted what they thought. I did. People learn by example. I am convinced that it is one of the major ways we are shaped. And that is why television and movies are so powerful. But Jason, you got anything to add before we go further here? Well, I've met you several times in person and I don't think you're dumb. But what was the thing that started shaking you out of your slumber? I guess it was sort of the like the research, the, the, the fact that you guys took the time to read the documents, right. And to see what they themselves are saying about these vaccines and how they're made and how they're tested. And you start just going down and learning and it's not just you guys that have this information, but you certainly pulled back the edge of the sticker there where I kept going, okay, now that's going to bug me. I'm going to have to keep picking at that and figuring that out because obviously my children, I would, I would die for them. I love them. For me, it was somewhat of a more rocky road. My, um, both of my parents, independently of each other, uh, both were, were were murdered per se by by medical malpractice. They were um, like years apart. The one doctor prescribed my father the wrong medication, and he essentially drowned on the couch watching television. And then my mother, she was they nicked her intestine while they were doing a surgery for something completely different. So. Like I watched her die slowly and it was, I had an inherent distrust for allopathy and I was all for vaccines. It made sense, you know, logically to me, oh, you get a little bit in there and and that prevents you from getting it later. And it wasn't until like COVID came out and they were so like, like pushy about the vaccines that I started watching, doing more research into it. And it honestly didn't take me very long to realize what a sham it was. So there was no risk of me actually getting it. (laughs) 
And once I realized that vaccine was a sham, I realized all the childhood vaccines were a sham. And that that's probably the reason why Jenny and I both suffer from asthma. And I had headaches as a child, so debilitating that I would have to leave school. And it wasn't until I became an adult, like 25 years later, that I actually feel healthy because I was always an unhealthy child, asthma. I had glasses. I couldn't do pull-ups. I couldn't run real fast. And now like I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life and I'm 33 years old. (laughs) It's unreal what's happened. And I commiserate with you. My father was killed by medical malpractice ultimately, although the choice he made is what ended his life. But I, I think if I was brave enough, I would have made the same choice, but Jason, what's, what's the guy. I don't know if you remember the guy at the W E F that guy recently is on video saying we will have reduced the world population by half by 2023. Klaus Schwab. Is, is it Schwab? That- He's the main guy, but there's also that Harari fellow. He's like his assistant. Yeah, you will know Harari. It's a strange time in this way. At some point, and for me, it was years ago, I realized I was on my own. And that was not the world that I felt like I grew up in, right? There were professionals always around to help. And with what happened to my father as we went into 20, it just everything that had gone on when my mom got sick, I started to realize that was cause. And I realized unless my arm's hanging by a thread, I'll never walk through the door of another hospital. I had gotten a surgery some years ago and I wish to hell I never would have done it for a, for a hernia. I would have been better off living the rest of my life with the hernia. And this is really the big divide where the people who have a chance to come out the other side of this are going to have to wake up to, do you really want to walk through those doors or do you want to take responsibility as much as is possible? It's like the television thing. How long will it take before common sense puts the stamp on media, television, and movies, even the words television, you're going to be told a vision. And what happens when you turn it on? Where do you go? You go to a channel and what's on the channel. Well, programming is on the channel. And even though you can sit here and point this out six ways to Sunday, most of us are so indoctrinated. We won't step away from it. And as I said, Earlier, what I accept is a big deal is human beings learn by example. It doesn't matter if you're in the room with the example or you're watching it on a screen. But anyhow, I'm kind of drifting off, Jason. You want want to try to pull us back to where we're going here? So, Jenny, I remember speaking to you. Oh, goodness, I don't even remember now. But I remember when you were telling me about the connection that you guys had. Why don't you? Uh, <laughs> why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Because it's it's a beautiful love story, actually. If you want to be kind of corny about it, but it really is. I I was very happy for you when you were telling me about all that. All right, I'm up for a love story. Yeah, David. David loves to say this. Uh, that yeah, we were engaged to other people, you know, and um, it was just I was so driven to see David, to talk to David it, and tried very hard to not screw anything up. So before I ever met David, I had to break off a relationship and, and, and figure that out, you know, and it ended up going really well. We actually were pretty amicable in it and as good as it could go before David even came up here. And he came up here for about a week and we got to hang out and, and then he went back and for like a month, we worked the plan to have him come stay up here. So David, you hadn't, you hadn't even been on a plane before then, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it really starts back even before that. When we were friends and, and I was engaged to someone else in Florida, she was in, engaged to someone up here. And we were just talking in our in our chat, you know, just friends, you know, like I'm, I'm friends with a lot of truthers. And it was just a group chat with her and it and another one of our friends. And I had a dream one night where I was I was in the in like a dark room and I was wandering around. And for some reason, I knew it. And I, and I found Jenny in the dark. And I like and it was very it was a very unusual dream. It was uncanny. And I, I was I actually called her and we were on the phone and she was on the phone with her for with her ex as well, like on speaker. And I was telling her about it. And it was it was one of those weird things because I had never actually laid eyes on her before. Um, you know, I couldn't have, I couldn't have picked her out of a lineup. And I had found her in dark in that dream. And there was a another dream where I, I asked um, I asked the Lord to like split up uh, his power between Jenny and I. And it was really uncanny because I had no idea that we were actually going to have a child, but like she would, we were, we were inherently drawn to each other. Um, I, I remember we, we would just be talking and I, I and I told a, a friend of mine, I was like, I think I'm in, in love with Jenny Spark. And, and he, and he kind of laughed to himself and he said, I, I already knew buddy. <laughs> and yeah. it turns out that she had said the same thing to him as well. And it was just so uncanny because we we would talk on the phone and we were both trying to deny how we felt about each other. But like from one instance, she was uh, reaching for um, reaching for some spices or something in her cabinet and she knocked something over. I was like, oh, what was that? And she's like, oh, I knocked over some spices. And instantly just the, the vision popped in my head as to what it was. I said, oh, it was garlic salt. She's like, how'd you know? <laughs> and, it, and I like I just knew instantly. And then another case we were talking about uh, children and she was talking about when her, when her uh, oldest child was born the time. And I remember like, I never had a child at this point. So I was like, Oh yeah, well, I was born at three forty-three AM. And at the same time, unbeknownst to me, she read across the time her second child was born, which was three forty-three AM <laughs> at the same time that I said it. And she kind of like, what, what it shocked her. And we had moments like that throughout. You guys must have what's called a karmic connection from maybe before this go around. But do you guys remember the first time you physically laid eyes on each other? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, tell me about that. <laughs> so I, I showed up at the airport and his flight was delayed. So I was there early and I had a sweater on, you know, and I was sitting there waiting. You can't see through the doors that the people come through. It's just black. It's kind of blacked out or whatever. And I was sitting there waiting for maybe 45 minutes. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe I should want, you know, look for one of those boards that says when, when the planes come. So I, I walked around and looked for where it found his flight and came across with my eyes. And as my eyes came across to the wording delayed, it then changed to arrived right as my eyes looked across it. And I hadn't thought about looking at the board until then. Right. So I walked back over to where I was waiting and was just sitting there and maybe 10, 15 minutes later, I got hot, super hot in my body. Like I couldn't believe how hot I was. And I took my sweater off and everything. And I'm like, I was sitting here with this sweater the whole time. It didn't, I wasn't hot before now. And then he came through the door right then. Love at first sight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and she said, and she felt it all through her body. And we, we joked, you know what I mean? Like she always said, well, we don't know. We were she's like, you're just an internet stranger until we actually meet. That was kind of <laughs> so 
I was gonna, I was gonna, um, like shake her hand and be like, "Hi, nice to meet you. I'm David." <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I wouldn't be an internet stranger anymore. And we just instantly, it was like something. Uh, this is gonna sound corny, but we just kissed each other. Like we just started kissing, like at the first meeting. <laughs> there it is, man. What, what's that old song? That was my Magnet fault. and steel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know that old picture with the sailor, and he just kisses her, the the uh, nurse in Times Square. It was like yep. that. It was <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and I think I even said, "Nice to meet you." After we pulled away. <laughs> <laughs> so I had seen a picture of David when he was a child, and I had saw something in his eyes, and I just couldn't believe uh, it. Just blew me away. And um, so I hadn't planned on having a child. <laughs> No, I hadn't either. I didn't think that I could have a child, not to be crass, but I hadn't used protection much in my past. You know, I haven't like took precautions. I just assumed that I couldn't have a child. And like I remember her telling me about, like, I was asking her, well, what did you see in your ex? You know, because they, they didn't seem to get along too well. And she said, well, I saw something in his eyes. And I, she said she thought it was her children, uh, Booney and Mickey my stepchildren. And I was like, Oh, okay. It makes sense. Well, later on we were talking and she said, I don't know. It's just something I see in your eyes. And I kind of have joking. I said, Oh, well, maybe it's a baby. And she's like, no, we're not, I'm not having any children. And we both like laughed it off. But looking back, I honestly believe it was Lola that she saw in my eyes. Well, then I've then I mean, you're setting it up for the question. Did you guys plan to have this baby or did the no. baby present itself? Uh, quite the contrary. She she did everything to prevent having a child. Jenny, if you want to go into, she tried various birth controls and her body rejected them, starting with like, tell them about the copper one, babe, how it so, did. So, yeah, I you know, it's hard to figure out what you want to do. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. I didn't want the hormone one. So I said, okay, we'll try the copper one. And I did the copper IUD. And um, on the way home, I was talking to David on the phone, of course. And um, I said, I don't, I don't feel good. I, I got to pull over. Uh, I think I'm going to pull over. And I, I pulled over. And as soon as my hand put the car into park, that's the last thing I remember. I passed out and it just made me so sick. It hurt all the time. I got home and I couldn't even get out of the car. Like I had to sit in the car for a while. Like I wanted to get something to drink. And I was like, I don't even, I can't even get up right now. Like I felt so horrible with that thing. Did you know what was doing it? Just as the pain, I guess, from the IUD. I, well, I don't when know. you got when you didn't feel good and you passed out, did you associate the birth control with what was happening to you, or did you, did you not yeah. know? I assumed it was that, yeah, because mm. it hurt a little bit. But I, I, I have a weird, I have a weird relationship with pain because, for me, a lot of times, uh, I go into shock. So people will ask me, you know, what what's your pain level, and I'm like, well, it didn't really hurt. I just went into shock. <laughs> So if it gets to that point for me, it's, it's like the pain just gets shut off. I could tell she was off cause we were talking before and I, I kind of blame myself cause initially when she went in, we had agreed that she wasn't going to have anything put inside of her. We weren't going to do any of that because of our inherent distrust of allopathy. So we were going to go with the, the diaphragm the most. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's kind of opposed to birth control period, but I was uh, indulging her. You know, I think if a child's going to be born, it's going to be born, but she, she couldn't get a hold of me to ask what I thought about the copper IUD. The, the gynecologist kept pushing her on it and pushing her on and just get this, just get this. And she elected to, and, and 
it, it initially it threw everything off her whole like everything was off about her systems you know from the time she had that in she just wasn't comfortable um she said it felt like there was something pinching her on the inside what is it though Do, does someone else have to does a doctor have to administer that or do you do it yourself they implant it they implant it yeah the doctor ah. implants it in you and it, it's like connects to the inside of you it like yeah it hurt <laughs> and uh and i got multiple infections then and then i had to have it taken out i just had to have it taken out that's like alchemical you know it's it's interesting to me that it's made of copper i've never heard of this by the way oh yeah it's the, one of the oldest ones it's one of the oldest yeah. iud's the intrauterine device it's made of copper and apparently the copper toxicity or whatever is enough to act as a spermicide so it, nothing the egg won't implant to the uterine wall which is essentially making her her uterus toxic for a baby you know which is you know if you're poisoning your uterus it's going to spread to your body and that, yes it's supposed to be the oldest and the safest and that's that's why she elected to do it but it, it literally threw off her her ph she kept having infections she didn't get back to normal so like our first time together, it wasn't like it should have been natural, but I, I believe that her body was rejecting it because Lola needed to be born. After that, she decided to go with what do you want with the hormonal one, baby? Yeah, I did the low hormone pill, uh, which I had done a lot in the past. I'm, you know, older to the point where like I shouldn't just be on the pill anymore, but I wasn't sure what to do. So um went on the pill. You know, I don't think a lot of men realize, you know, what a freaking hassle and how put upon the female half of the relationship is with regard to birth control. So with everything you've learned and you're older now, so you have some experience, what, what would you say to other women out there? Listen, what would you, what would your advice be? It's really difficult. There's no good options. Cause, um, after I tried the pill and that didn't work, I got sick. I got, uh, urinary tract infections from the pill. So I went off of that uh, mid month and I thought, okay, well, what's the natural, like what's the good natural way to do it, right? The rhythm method, all these smart women are doing the rhythm method and it, and it works for them. Lola is the result of one month on the, on the rhythm method for us. <laughs> so I guess she got a little off beat there. <laughs> yeah. I guess I need more practice on the rhythm method. I yeah. Know. You broke the rhythm. You weren't listening to the drummer carefully enough. <laughs> I don't know. So, and that even the rhythm method is, it's like, it feels unfair. Cause it's like, when you really want to, that's when you're not supposed to. To be fair to us, we didn't really have any slip ups. It just seemed like she was supposed to be born there. Yeah, if you could back, look back to any point where it said, okay, you slipped up. There may be a chance that baby's going to be conceived. There was no slip ups. There was no like, accidental oopsies you know it was it just seemed magical that it happened it, it we weren't expecting it because there was no point in time where we looked back and said okay maybe we screwed up a little bit right there that was, was <laughs> but obviously we did <laughs> people forget what a big thing uh the onset of birth control pill was and even the catholic church's position or what the catholic church's position was supposed to be sex is for making New lives was the original idea, but even all these, even into the new millennium, you know, what I'm hearing from you is there are still no real acceptable offers other than timing. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to consistently poison yourself, give yourself surgery or your husband, what do you have as an option? 
Yeah. And for someone like us, like I refuse to go under the knife. I've lessons not learned in blood are soon forgotten. And I'm learning from the blood that you shed crow doing your surgery. And like, I have similar things with my, my hand as you, and I, I refuse to have surgery. So like, there's not many options for people who refuse to either get cut or be poisoned or just be placated and, you know, made comfortable for the rest of their life with some addiction, something that they have to take. There's not really many options except between you and the creator. And it's you're like you said, you're on your own. That's why people like Clive DeCarl and Amanda Vollmer are invaluable because if, if it weren't for them, then we would be lost, honestly. Wouldn't know where to begin. No, this is the this is the seed of the new era of we are on our own and you are on your own to the degree that you can handle it. And to the degree that you can't handle it, then you're back into systems that are designed not to be helpful, that are designed to reduce world population, that are designed to slave us all out. 2023 before it's said and done is going to be every bit. It's going to be a bigger year than 2020 was. 2020 proved that the world wasn't ready to defend itself, that the majority of people were just going to do what they were told. But it also sped up the process of people considering whether they should do what they're told anymore. But this year, this year, all bets are off. The brake handle's been ripped off the train. This thing's going and it's picking up speed. And You know, I suspect in the long run that they may actually get their control. I don't think they're going to hold it for very long, but that does nothing to the the pain and suffering that's going to follow in the wake of this. And that's why I kind of harped on the, I think men should listen to this. Like to me, to have the woman you love poison herself so you can have sex, that's, that's freaking unacceptable, man. I mean, prophylactic, or even if you're going to go under the knife, which it's not the best option, but to me, even that is better than all the methods that I'm aware of that are not good for women. It's a horrible thing, but we should keep moving here. You guys end up pregnant. Yeah. And at that point, I'm guessing you'd heard probably a number of the birthing episodes we've done. Yeah. And you know, what really got me scared too, was hearing that there was actually people having babies and and being tested whether they have COVID or not, and then separating the mother from the child after birth because one of them is tested positive for COVID. I was like, I am so happy I would not having babies anymore. And then I had to have a baby and I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm, I just refuse. I won't do it. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I won't go into the hospital. Um, after my last two children were born in the hospital, they were both induced. I don't know that either of them needed to be induced. And the second time, you know, I asked, please wait, break my water and see if I go into labor. And they didn't listen. They put me on the Pitocin right away, you know, and those were hard, hard deliveries. I'd never felt what it felt like to, to give birth until I gave birth to Lola because I had the epidural each time. And you go into the hospital and there's a difference between 10 years and five years. At some point they started doing mandatory drug tests at the hospital. So you go in and the first thing you feel like a criminal and then they treat everything as mandatory. That's optional, right? They do vaginal exams at the hospital every single time. When I did the midwife, I didn't have one vaginal exam. And I have to ask myself, what good did it do the last two children that I had having those vaginal exams? Someone got paid. Someone got billed. (laughs) 
the current in the riverbanks was kept flowing. Yeah. And when I had Booney, this was 2012, they did the 20 week scan and they had a new machine in there. And they said, oh, we have uh, a new machine in here. Can we look a little longer and bring some more nurses in and stuff? And I said, oh, great. Yeah, I get to see my baby for longer, right? Well, I didn't even know that the 20-week scan is harmful to the baby and the amount of time that you do it. Well, wait, wait right? a minute. So so what is, is this? Uh, is this a frequency base? Is this sound yeah, ultrasound, or something? Ultrasound, 20-week scan, yep. So explain that. They can look at the baby. They can come in and look at where the heart's pumping and what's going on with the baby. But what I'm told from everybody that I kind of listen to now is that that's that's a harmful thing to the baby. It heats them up and it's not good for them, right? So they can find things that might be wrong with the baby is their justifications for doing it. So with my first, they looked for a longer amount of time. And so eventually... I guess they found this little bubble they thought was in his brain and they told, they called me while I was at work to tell me that he has a bubble in his brain and he could have trisomy 18 or whatever. And I'm at work Googling that crying, you know, and it was all worry for nothing. He was fine. Why is it the idea that that there's a new machine so they can do it for longer? What is the typical acceptable duration I have no law. I have no idea, but I just let them, I didn't know there was any harm to it. So, but the new machine, their claim was now we can do this for longer. Cause that sounds to me like, no, no. What they were saying is, can we, they asked me if they could do it for longer because they wanted to show the nurses, the new machine. They wanted oh. to train on it. Yeah. They didn't take into account that it might be harmful to the child or that, that the longer they have the, they expose them to the frequencies and the more damage could be done. The nurses never considered it. It's not even something that they take into account. They're just thinking, oh, look, it's a, it's a baby. It's just, they don't have any, any thought of it. It's not even an afterthought to these people. It's a system that was designed to ensure that the WEF has a chance at their 50% reduction uh, by the year we're currently living. And yeah, these, these nurses, you know, this is what gets me. You know, I don't know what you do for a living, David, but like for me and all the people I know, Uh, at least from a man's point of view, you get halfway through your life and you start taking some, like, what have I done? Have I done anything that mattered? If you were a doctor or or something like, you know, at some point in your career, wouldn't you have to sum up, have I done anything worthwhile? And if you were a doctor, wouldn't that kind of have to come down to how many people have I cured or helped in some significant way? I mean, I just don't get how things like this continually go on. And I get, you know, that people will be unemployed, so they probably push it out of their mind. But anyhow, I'm getting off on a rant. Did you say cured? Is that while they're busy practicing? <laughs> yeah, practicing. Yeah, practice makes perfect. <laughs> I don't think that many doctors actually go into it to help people. Now, back when, you know, when you were a child and even back when I was born, it seemed more like there were more people going into practicing medicine to actually help people. And now it just seems like a business. People go in there and they might as well be middle management. They're just trying to get the numbers on their books and more people in, more people out. They're more patients, the better. I don't think they actually take into account or, or care how many people they save. And that's why when you run across a, a, a doctor who does care, they tell you the options and they don't try to bully you. But they all, even, even the midwife, who they get into it to be natural 
at every turn they tried and recommended that we do the allopathic. Oh, you need this test here. You need this test here. Yep. I, I had to threaten to walk. We had to threaten to walk and let's do it all at the house by ourselves multiple times because even at the beginning they wanted, they kept trying to, they had all these guidelines like, well, Oh, if she's five, nine, and she's over 200 pounds at 20 weeks, she's going to have to go to the hospital. That we won't do it. There were so many loopholes that, that we had to, to go through to even get to the point where we we're at the birthing center and I'm delivering the baby myself. Like they, they looked for every opportunity to push us back into allopathy for what it said. And they were wonderful, but they and themselves believe the law. Well, so there's two different kinds of midwives, right? There's the kind that are just midwives, uh, and then there's the license. So Minnesota is a state that licenses them, right? And so I think it's different from state to state. Yeah, but they they had to do and recommend certain things, like they wanted her to get the amniotic fluid tested. They, they offer you all the things and Granted, like when, when Jenny went through with her first child, now I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Jenny, but they didn't present it as an option, all these tests. It was like, it was a, just kind of like, this is the next thing we're doing, you know? And I just, I, I didn't really question it either. You know, it's like, there isn't a question. It's just treated as, you know, you're doing all these things. So I want to close out this hour. Let's go over some of the things that happened with your first two births, which by the way, Jason will probably have shared in those experiences with his kid, who's now an adult. So let's draw the picture of what happened with your first two. Uh, The first one, totally, whatever you say I do. Second one, you're starting to think about things. So let's close out this hour. How did it go? What were the things that were done that are going to differ from how Lola was brought into the world? So you know, with Booney, which was 2012, he was my first, we did, uh, (laughs) we did everything that they recommended pretty much. And so that's going to be the, the heel prick, the vitamin K, the eye gunk, the, all the vaccines, everything, except I did not, uh, circumcise either of my children. I am an intactivist and have been for some time. So that's, uh, important to me, but that wasn't really, didn't seem like that big of an issue at the hospital. So I was there for a couple of days afterwards. I had the epidural and, you know, was induced with Pitocin, which is very, it, it's a very, um, it's a harder labor. You you get tense and you can't relax. You went over too. You were late with your children. Oh yeah, I was late with both of them. Yeah, that is true. Well, late from the, the expected due date, right? So Booney ended up having ear infections, skin issues, fevers all the time. Immediately? So that started right away when they yeah. when you were yeah. home? Yeah. The ear infection started, I think, with the first, like after the first rounds of vaccines and stuff. And I and so I was starting to to kind of pay at least pay attention to to how my child acted after vaccines. And it was never good, you know, <laughs> it was never good. And he was slow to talk and he was, there was concern about um, autism and stuff like that. I read to him every night. I read to him for hours and hours and hours because I got scared about that. So with my second child, I'm starting to, to catch on to some of this stuff. And I did let them do the eye gunk. I did let them do the vitamin K regular shot, however they did it. I did let them do the heel prick but I did just no vaccines. Right. And he's been the healthiest child. He, he's had a fever for maybe one night. He never had any ear infections. He's, he's healthy as could be. 
with Lola, I didn't, we didn't even do the heel prick. <laughs> One of the things we're trying to figure out whether we want to do it or not, because they test for all these markers, right. Of, of having um, different diseases. And is it blood? Why, why is, yeah, why? they take blood and they send it off to the department of health. And when they said those words, department of health, I said, no, forget it. So it's weird that it's the heel test is, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. guessing there's a reason, but I'm wondering if there's some kind of a cult. I mean, is that the Achilles heel idea or something? I'm just, so I was going to say, that's the first thing that comes to mind is they're pricking the Achilles heel. Like what's the point with that? Maybe there's some reason uh, about, you know, putting a prick hole in a, in a baby anyhow. So Jason, I'm guessing your daughter was born a bit before her two children. So is everything she's saying what you experienced? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Aura was born two weeks prematurely because they were concerned about the umbilical cord being around her neck, which turned out to be true. So they did a C-section to get her out early. Uh, otherwise, we were going for a natural childbirth. But I was pretty clueless about a lot of stuff in uh, 2003. So... Unfortunately, she got all the normal stuff, but still, thankfully, Aura was an extremely healthy child. She rarely got sick, so. How many shots, Jason, do you remember? Nowhere near what they give now. I don't remember how many. It must have been like right before they started cramming a zillion of them at the kids because I don't remember her getting shot after shot after shot after shot. So, Jenny, how how many shots with your two? Gosh, I don't know how many Booney, you know, Booney just, he was, every time they brought him in, it was more shots and it was, um, you know, in the beginning, it's not even, you do a three month appointment, a six month appointment, a nine month, a year. And then you're, you're, it's just, every time you go in, there's more shots. I'd have to look at his chart to find out how many he had quite a few. And then his doctor tried to tell me it's normal that he has uh, a fever every two to three months for four to five days and he has to come out of school and nobody else gets sick and nothing's wrong with him. I bring him in, you test him for strep, you test him for this, you test him for that. He has nothing wrong with him. And you're telling me that's normal. I was like, once she told me that that was normal, I was like, I'm, I'm done. And, and during the whole COVID thing, I didn't bring my children into the hospital for their regular checkups. I stopped doing them because they said they had to wear masks. And I was just so adamantly against the masks. You pulled them out of school because of the masks. <laughs> I did. I did. Good for you. Good for you. You know, that, let's, let's just take a minute. I think some, I, I've done a few episodes where I talked about the mask and I think some people felt I was being cavalier because they felt like they didn't have a choice but let's address that. You always have a choice. And in the situation that was just put before people, the choice is not always easy or good, but you always have a choice. And I pointed out that, yeah, I didn't have an employer. So that was not one of the pressures I found, but I do have to go into all the stores. I was out, you know, this is before you could get everything delivered where I was, you had to go in stores. I was kicked out of more stores than you can imagine. As a matter of fact, I had to get things. So I would go back the next day to a place I was just kicked out of to try to get food or something like that. Now, my wife, she didn't want to wear the mask, but often did. But her reason was because when she went in without the mask, the people, she felt like she was making others uncomfortable. My point is this, had we to the degree that we find acceptable, not done this, that was one of our best chances to break the spell that was about to come. But let's be fair. We all get to choose. And 
I have not heard of a lot of people, I guess, Jason, how many, do you feel like we've interviewed a lot of people that pulled their children out of school? I mean, there have been some. Not a lot. No, just, uh, I mean, definitely a few, but no, I wouldn't say a lot. For me personally, it was abhorrent because I knew. And if I did it, it was to me, my own action undermining my spiritual foundation. It was abhorrent. And I'm not saying my situation was any worse than anyone else's. What I'm saying is when I did it, I couldn't live with myself. And so I had come to a point where, well, if I can't get food or whatever, I'll I'll just do what I have to do. But anyhow, let's get back to point. Let's just quickly, you pulled both children out of school and you did you homeschool from that point? You know, for a time they did this uh, school from home option. Um, so we found a district in the area that did a school from home. It wasn't our local one. So we did that for a, a time. We ended up putting them in a private school, which is sort of a compromise because I have 50% custody and I, I kind of wanted to do homeschooling, but it wasn't all up to me. And I don't, I, I work full time as well. So it's, it's quite the thing to try to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just I, I used to drive by the, the, the school and the, and, the, and the police station right there. And I wanted to cry every day because I would cry often because I felt like there was abuse going on. They're abusing children. And if I go into the police station and tell them what I really think, I'm going to cry and I'm going to look insane. And they're going to just think I'm crazy. <laughs> they won't change anything. One of the reasons she even moved to the house that we live in now was for the school district. It wasn't easy for her to pull out. This is one of the best school districts in the country or or no schools in Hennepin County, Minnesota. She the only reason she even lives where we live now was for this school. So it wasn't easy for her to pull them out like she went above and beyond just so that they could be a part of this school. So that was really a big shock for her because she even went to the school board meeting and, and spoke out against it. I remember that's one of the things that endeared me most to her was whenever she was still with someone else when all this happened. And like I, she sent me the video and I was just so proud of her for standing up. And she was I just told them all what she thought about it. And it wasn't easy because they were just dismissing people left and right. So we have to wrap up here, guys. Rose just pinged me and said we have a mountain of listeners that pulled their children out of school. They just don't happen to be people that we've interviewed. Uh, David and Jenny, are you interested in getting contacts from people who experienced this episode? In other words, do you want to give out contact information? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Go ahead. So uh, Jenny Spark, MN at gmail.com. And for me, it's reluctantwitness33 at outlook.com. Okay. So we'll have to remember to get both of those um, addresses linked in comments when the episode goes live. With that, I'm going to wrap up hour one. We're going to get into the outcome of what happens when someone shifts their point of view. As you can see, Jenny had two children, was pretty much did what she was told to do. Uh, We're going to cover what happens when you go the other way. And I'm going to ask questions that compare the lives of her first two children with the life of Lola, which is not quite as advanced along yet, still young. But with that, hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. They get access to the forums, to the comment section under each episode, to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon that goes over all my telescope work. And by the way, I've noticed 
each of the episode images I do by hand. I'm never going to do AI art, no matter how hard it gets uh, to get images or source them or make them. I will always do them by hand. Quite typically, and there was a point about a year and a half ago where it eased up a bit, I was saying things in the images that I knew AI couldn't figure out, but a human being could. Some of them are even puzzles. My point being, I've noticed that a lot of people are using the little button to download the high-res image. There are a lot of complaints that you can't see it on a cell phone. I'll be honest with you. I've been making these for years now, and I don't make them for cell phones. They're 3,000 pixels by 3,000 pixels. Point being, you can download the full-resolution version if you want it. With that, we're going to wrap up, come back for hour two. I hope to see everybody logged in and over at the website for hour two. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing. Come.